Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Daniel, the other Pastor Daniel, also known as Dinko, and I am the campus pastor at the Artesia campus, and it's such a blessing to be here at the Fullerton campus to bring the Word of God. We're continuing in our Gospel versus Religion series, as you just saw in the video bumper, and today we'll be talking about obedience, obedience. Uh, Our passage today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, that we could turn there together, also will be projected overhead. Philippians chapter 2, starting from verse 12. I'll read this for us. Let's give our attention and reverence, for this is the reading of God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is God's word. Can I lead us in a quick word of prayer? Let's ask the Lord for his help. Lord, we ask that just as we sang a few moments ago, that you would speak to your people, that you would speak your word. God, as we delve a little more deeply into Philippians chapter 2, we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to impress upon our hearts what it means to believe in the gospel and to obey as a result. Not because we have to, but because we get to now. Lord, be with us during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Obey. Obey. That's what Paul opens this passage with. And that word obey or the word obedience. I don't know what you think about that word or those words, especially as it pertains to obeying and obedience to God. Maybe for some of you, when you hear that word obey, It's quite natural. You're like, yeah, of course, obey. Christians need to obey God. We need to obey his word. We need to obey his law. Maybe for some of you, the word obedience, maybe it's off-putting. Maybe it makes you cringe a little. It feels heavy. And whatever your opinion of that word obedience, and more importantly, the concept of obedience may be, that word is an important word. It comes up over a hundred times throughout the Bible. Even three times in the New Testament, we see this very specific phrase, obey the gospel. Even this connection of obedience and the gospel, you see that three times in the New Testament. And now there is certainly a way to be obedient to God that is purely just religious. That's what this whole series is about, religion versus gospel. There is a way to just obey religiously. And the idea is we don't want to promote that. But even as people who believe in the gospel, obedience is still in the picture. If God is God, and he is, obedience is not some optional thing. Uh, we don't get saved by our obedience, absolutely. Right? That's, that's, that's what the gospel says. We're not saved through our obedience, but it still matters. God still even expects it. And as we talk about obedience today for the next few minutes or so, I do want to ask all of you to think about yourself and 
about the areas of your own life very specifically in which you need to apply obedience to God. Right? I don't want just I don't want to just talk throughout the rest of this sermon and for obedience to just be this really abstract concept, just just the word, but I want you to think about what are areas in your own life very specifically. We're all different here, right? Everyone's a little bit different. What are areas in your life where you need some obedience to God? You go, you know, that's an area in my life where I haven't really been thinking about obedience. Or that's an area in my life where I know I need to be obedient to God, but I just simply haven't been. Please be thinking about that specifically as we talk about obedience today. Whether we're talking about something regarding your finances, something regarding uh, what you do with your body, what you do with your words, what you do in your relationships, whatever it may be for you specifically, please be thinking about that. And I'm I'm actually one of the lucky preachers today because uh, I get to speak on the message where that tagline that comes up in that video is is very much applicable. It's very relevant to what we're talking about today. If if you've noticed, uh, whenever we play that video, this Gospel versus Religion series video, it says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Question mark, right? And it's meant to be thought-provoking. It's meant to make you pause. Is that right? I obey, therefore I'm accepted? And of course not. That, that's religious obedience. Where God only accepts you and loves you and receives you after you've obeyed. But of course, if you believe in the gospel, you know that we obey not uh, so that we could be accepted, but we obey because we're already accepted. I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted into the household of God, and therefore I obey. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? That makes all the difference in the way our hearts work in that, in our motivation, in the way we understand obedience, in the, in the way we actually can do obedience. It makes all the difference. And yet the point to make is that obedience is not out of the picture. For those of you who believe in the gospel, hopefully all of you, there is still a necessary obedience, a natural obedience, an expected obedience. You know, as Americans, we live in a very individualistic culture, and we're often taught to question authority, especially as we see the failure of so many authority structures, be it in politics or even the church or our parents and in our families. It makes, it's natural that sometimes we, we kind of cringe at this thought of just simply submitting to authority and, and obeying uh, these, these authority structures. And yet, even with the failure of so many different authority structures, when it comes to our relationship with God, there is still such a thing as gospel obedience. Obedience that is a natural result of believing in the gospel. So I just want to share three different things with you today that comes from Philippians chapter 2 about gospel obedience. Not religious obedience, but gospel obedience. And here's the first thing we're going to look at today. Gospel obedience is still motivated by the fear of the Lord. Mm. Gospel obedience is still motivated by the fear of the Lord. If you look uh, in verse 12 of our passage today, Paul says, Obey and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. And then later in verse 14, he says, do all things. He kind of gives the flip side. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It can also be uh, translated as complaining and questioning. And it's this idea that, yes, our obedience is still motivated by the fear of the Lord. 
Yes, we are still called to, to obey God without this kind of complaining heart and complaining nature and, and disputing with God, questioning with God, arguing with God. And I know that in, uh, in the church and for Christians, whenever we, talk, whenever we see the word fear as it pertains to God, the fear of the Lord, we're often quick to say, you know, fear is, is, is reverence. Fear and trembling, we, we often like to soften it by calling it reverence and awe. And those are not bad synonyms, those are not bad definitions, but there ain't nothing wrong with the word fear here. That's why it's in the Bible, right? That's why it's in our passage. There's nothing wrong with the fear of the Lord. It is a natural thing. It is very natural, if God is God, that there is fear of God. But here's the thing, here's the catch, here's the the kicker. In religion, we fear God because of what he might do. In religion... We fear God because of a fear of punishment. Or we fear God because uh, we don't want him to withhold some blessing for us. We actually have the next slide for you, comparing religion and gospel. In religion, it's a fear of what God might do. But in the gospel, it's a fear of simply who God is. Those are two very different things. One is a fear of punishment. One is a fear of, if I don't do this, if, I, if we're not good boys and little, good, little boys and girls that are, that are following all the rules, then God's not going to give us this. Or God is going to make something bad happen to us or allow something bad to happen to us. And that's a fear of punishment. That's a fear of what God might do. But a, a, a gospel fear of the Lord is simply saying, I, fear, I, I still fear the Lord simply because God is God. Even though I know God is gracious towards me. Even though I know he looks at you and me and he sees beloved sons and daughters, precious children. And he's gracious, he's loving, he's affectionate, he's kind to us. But I still fear him. Not because I'm afraid of what he might do to me. Many of you probably know that I'm a fairly, fairly big MMA fan. I like to watch things like the UFC. And I remember... Several years ago, I actually went to a UFC event. I went to a fight. And uh, I, I had an opportunity to, to meet one of the fighters. He was sitting in the audience. He wasn't fighting. He was just watching. Kind of an older gentleman. He, a legend of the sport, as, as many would say. And you know, I saw him taking some pictures with some, some women. And I ran up like, I want to take a picture too. And he was like, no, 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 I don't have time for another picture. And he started walking away. But then I, I at least got to fist bump him and shared a few words. And when I fist bumped him, his, uh, his fist was gigantic and rock solid. Almost broke my hand, even though it was just a tap. And I remember really thinking as I, as I interacted with him for that brief moment, I remember really rather feeling fear. I felt fear in my heart as I stood in front of this kind of legend, this fighting legend. And it's not because I thought he might punch me in the face. It's not because I was afraid that he might like slap me or something. I knew he wasn't going to do anything to me. I knew, I knew he was going to be nice to me because I was a fan. And of course, because he doesn't want to get arrested. And yet there was fear in my heart simply because of who this man was. And this is a mere mortal we're talking about. This is just a human being we're talking about. And of course, how much more for God, where we consider that God is the sovereign over all the universe, that he is the king of kings, that he is the creator and sustainer of all life and of all creation, even that which is not living. And to think, how can I not stand before God and feel a sense of fear 
And that's why we obey him. Because he is God. It is natural to submit to God. If we understand who God is. If we understand what it means that he is God. It's natural for him to be the authority. It's natural for us to obey. You guys remember in Genesis chapter 2 when uh, Adam and Eve commit the first sin. That sin which brought down the whole world. Which brought in evil and suffering into our world. Do you remember what that sin was? It wasn't a murder, although the first murder would come soon thereafter. Uh, it wasn't some sort of sexual immorality. What was it? It was simply eating a fruit of a particular tree, right? That's it. That was the first prohibition that God gave, right? That was kind of the first, you know, red flag he gave. He said, you can, you know, this is your garden of Eden, your paradise. Just don't eat from this one tree. And isn't it interesting? God doesn't give any uh, explanation of, oh, it's because it's poisonous. That wasn't the case. He doesn't say, uh, you know, this is the moral and ethical reasons why you shouldn't eat from this tree. He just says, don't eat from it. Just don't eat from it. And I love what uh, the well-known pastor from New York, Tim Keller, says about that passage, specifically in Genesis chapter 2. He writes this. I have it written for you as well. He says, God is saying in Genesis chapter 2, I want you to do something just because I said so. Not because it immediately benefits you or is practical, helpful, and exciting. I want you to do something just because I am God. Thus, this commandment contains the essence of all commandments. God, the definition of God, who God is, is He is the one who can do that. He's the one that can say, I said so. I'm the authority. I'm not a parent, but I'm sure all the parents have experienced this in, uh, in this room, have experienced this at some point where, you know, you tell your kids to do something and that dreaded response comes, that, that, that response full of sin. Why? Right? Why? Why do I have to do that? And I'm sure many of you have just simply in a, maybe a moment of anger even just said, because I said so. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. Because daddy said so. Mommy said so. And isn't that a rightful response, at least while they're fairly young? Of course, as they grow up and as they become uh, young men and young women, they need more explanations. They need to understand the whys more and more. And of course, one day they're not even going to be in your household. They're not going to be under your authority, which is not the case for us and God. But that why, even for parents, so often because you have authority over your children, you will say, Many times you might say, because I said so, because I know better, because I know what's good for you. And of course, God himself is the one who has every right to simply command and we simply obey. That is who God is. And of course, that story goes on, right? God prohibits the eating of that fruit from that tree. But here comes Satan, disguised as the serpent. And what does he do? He gets Adam and Eve to to grumble and question, to complain and to dispute, doesn't he? He comes up to Adam and Eve and he says, did God really say, did God really say that? And, and let me tell you, even if God said that, it's actually not going to happen. If you eat of that tree, it's actually going to be fine. It's actually going to be better. You're going be, to have more pleasure. You're going to be more free. 
And even that, is the na- isn't that the nature of sin? Keller actually, Tim Keller actually goes on to say, how does sin begin? We learn here that it does, it does not only begin when we decide to disobey, it begins when we assume that we have the right and wisdom to even decide if we should obey. That's where it all starts. Where God is someone who can even be questioned and disputed against and grumbled against. And my question for you is, do you have a view of God that is that high? Do you have that high of a view of God? Or that is who God is. He is one to be feared. Once again, for gospel-believing Christians, not because you're afraid of punishment, not because you're afraid that he's going to take something away from you, but simply because he is God. He is the highest He is the sovereign, the ruler, the authority, the king, the master. It's not a fear of punishment, but a fear of who he is. And you know, if we obey God and we do all these good things and we we follow all the things that the Bible says out of a religious motivation because of a fear of punishment, because we don't want God to withhold a blessing or something like that, if you think about it, isn't that ultimately obeying God for our sake? Right? If, if I obey God because I don't want him to punish me, if I obey God because I want him to give me something or not give me a bad thing, isn't that ultimately obedience for me? Right? Isn't that just doing it for me? I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it so I'll, be, I'll get something good. I'll get the prize or I'll get the gift or I'll get the reward. Or I won't get the, 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 the bad thing. It's ultimately just for me. But when you fear God simply for who he is, and it's a gospel obedience, when you know you're already loved, you're already saved, God already accepts you, but you obey as a response, then you finally are freed to obey God for his sake, not just for yours. You're finally able to do that. You're finally able to obey, not as a requirement, but as a response. Not out of guilt, but out of gratitude as we confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism. That's the first point. Gospel obedience is still motivated by the fear of the Lord, but it's not a fear of what God might do to you, but it's a fear of simply who God is, a high view of God. Here's the second point. Gospel obedience still involves working and doing. Verse 12 of our text says this, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And of course, right before that, he says, obey, in, as, obey now in my absence as well as in my presence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There still is something to do. Being a gospel-believing Christian does not mean you just receive and you hear and you're blessed and then you just sit there. You just do nothing. You just say, wow, God is good, the gospel is good, Jesus is good, thank you, Jesus, and you just sit there. That's not obedience, right? That's not even fully the gospel. But of course, here's the, here's the thing again. Religion, in religion, you work for your salvation. In the gospel, you work out of your salvation. In religion, you, you work towards getting saved and accepted and loved, and that's burdensome, ultimately just burdensome. In the gospel, you work out of it. There's joy to be had in it. You know, in the religious view, you do have to ask yourself, if you're prone to that, whether you know it consciously or not, if you're prone to the religious understanding of obedience, you have to ask yourself at some point, at some point how much obedience will ever be enough? 
right, in the religious view. How much obedience will ever be enough? I remember I was talking many years ago, I was talking to a friend uh, who has a different religious background. And I asked him, hey, you know, in, in your view, how do you even go to heaven? Like, how does it work? And he said, well, you know, after you die, at, at the end, uh, you come before God. He measures all your bad deeds. He measures all your good deeds. And, of course, he's merciful, so your good deeds, every unit of good deed weighs a little bit more than a unit of bad deed. And he puts it on the scale, and if, if it turns out right, you're in. And it was, for him, it was very matter-of-fact, very simple. But for me, that was terrifying. That's a terrifying concept. That God measures, and you just, the scales have to be right. And you just got it. The good side has to outweigh the bad side. And to me, the, 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 the thing is, okay, you could, you could do all the right things on the outside. You could follow all the rules. You could, you could be very, you could be a stickler for every little thing. But God looks at the heart. He looks at your thoughts. He looks at your attitudes. Will that ever be enough? And then also on the, on the flip side, if you refrain from doing all those bad things, is there, could you ever do enough of the good? Could you ever do enough of uh, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind? Is there ever a, an amount of that where you'd be like, I think I'm good now. I think I did enough of that. Or could you ever love your neighbor as yourself enough where you'd feel confident and secure? I think God, God uh, approves of me now. If God is holy, if he's perfectly righteous and just, there is no amount of obedience. My, my sinful, uh, half-hearted, poorly motivated, self-centered obedience that could ever save me. It will never be enough. It can only be a burden, an infinite burden, a deadly burden. But if I'm saved by grace because of what Christ has done, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done, now I can actually obey out of that salvation. I can obey out of my faith in Christ, not in my faith in myself. Right? We are saved through faith in Christ, not by works. Right? Faith, not works. But of course, you may have heard this, but it's a faith that works. Right? We're saved by faith, not by works, but we are saved through a faith that works. It still works. The famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon, he once preached and he talked about, well, he preached many times, but he, he talked about Christians who don't obey God. Christians who, you know, they always come to church, they hear everything, but, but they just don't, they don't obey. They don't, they don't put it into practice. And here's what he preached. He said to his listeners, my dear hearer, if you pay ever so much outward attention to the word of God, Unless you submit your soul and spirit to its dominion, basically obedience, you cannot possibly expect to receive benefit from it. And he actually goes on to talk about how it's like uh, someone who's received a prescription from their doctor. And you look at the prescription, you read all the words so carefully. You, you, look at, you, you look at all the different big scientific words. You look at all the ingredients. You look at all the doses and you memorize it. And you know it so well, but you never take the medicine. He also says it's like someone who walks down his street in his neighborhood and he notes all the different bakeries. He memorizes. There's a bakery here. There's a bakery on that street, at that corner. And he knows exactly where all the bakeries are, but he never buys the bread to feed his family. And he says, likewise, to hear the word of God, to, to always be around it, but to not obey. 
is to not feed your soul. To have all this food but not to feed it. Similarly, James, in James chapter 1, verse 22, much more briefly says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves when you just hear but you don't do. Right? What, what, what good is it? Right? What good is it to sit in a church service? To go to church for your whole life, to sit in a million, listen to a million sermons, read a million books, read, you know, read a million articles and, and listen to podcasts and do all these things. What good is all of that if you don't actually do it? That's James's point, right? You're, you're tricking yourself, right? If you sit in the pew and you're like, I came to church today, I did a good thing. I mean, I'm glad you did. Praise God, that is a good thing. But what good is it that ultimately, if you just sit in the pew, you hear all this stuff, all these wonderful gospel truths, but you don't obey God's word? What good is that really? It doesn't do anything. And I would say some of us, especially in the Reformed church, in the Reformed tradition of Reformed Christians, are really good at hearing but not doing. And I can say that because I am reformed through and through. That's my tradition. I, uh, in terms of my Christian life, that's where I grew up, the reformed church. That's where Christ Central is. And I would say, you know, every, every kind of church, every kind of Christian has their own different little flaws and failures. But I would say ours, ours is we're really good at hearing, which is a good thing. But we're so good at hearing, and yet we're so bad at doing so often. That's reformed people. That's me. Like We're so good at knowing all the theology. We're so good at knowing all the different points and arguments, apologetics, this and that. And we're really good at that kind of stuff. We're really good at knowing the right words. And, and, and we even, we're even really good at embracing the gospel, saying, you know what? God loves me uh, despite anything I've done. He loved me first before I ever did anything for him. And, and we love grace. We love the freedom that we have in Christ, which is real and true. But we love, it's almost like we cling to that so hard without obedience. Somehow we think that those are mutually exclusive. And we don't apply. We don't do. And James tells us, we are deceiving ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. Yes, it is so good to hear. It is so essential to hear. We need to first hear and receive and be strengthened by the grace of God, the word of God. We need to be fed by the gospel. Yes, we need to receive salvation, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that's only the half of it. The other half is not. And then you've got to apply it and do it. Not because that's how you get saved, but because you are saved. Because you are saved. And religious obedience, working for your salvation, yes, can only be burdensome ultimately. Infinitely burdensome. But a gospel obedience, there is joy to be had. There is joy to be had. One of my favorite pastors, he was asked, uh, what's better, to live a life of joy or to live a life of obedience? And in true, his, name, his, his pastor by the name of John Piper, in true John Piper fashion, he goes, that's basically the same thing. <laughs> that, that's a false, false dichotomy. Obedience or joy? He said, it's the same thing. You can't have one without the other. There is joy and delight to be had. And of course, I'm not talking about some ecstatic, like bouncing off the wall joy, or even an immediate joy where you instantly just feel so good and so happy all the time. 
But there is a true and deep and lasting joy to be found in obedience to God, in gospel obedience. It's real. Philippians is all about joy. Right? Paul talks about rejoicing over and over again throughout this letter to this church. And even in our passage, just a few verses later, a couple of verses later, he says, after saying, obey, obey and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says, and I want you to rejoice and be glad with me. There is joy to be had in obedience. Yes. Like, I don't know if this is a new concept to anybody, but could it actually be that God gave us his commands to benefit us? Right? Like that, that God doesn't command us all these things because he's out to get us. Could it actually be that God's commands, God's law even, that word law is heavy, but God's law is like medicine to a sick person. God's law is like bread to a family who needs to eat food. Could it be that holiness actually can lead to happiness? I think the Bible tells us so. Yes, we, our first point, we obey God for his sake, not ours. Not so that I can, be, I can get all this stuff. But please keep in mind, God commands all that he commands for your good. He is a good father and a good God. He doesn't have any bad commandments. He doesn't have any commandments that are going to hurt you. You know, there's a very famous hymn, uh, and... You've probably sung it many times in your life if you've been a Christian even for a few years. And the words go like this. Very simple, but so true. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Very simple song. And yet so true, those words. There's, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust, which is trust means hear and receive and recognize your love first and recognize God is gracious towards you. You are saved. You are forgiven. And obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. If you want to be the most unhappy Christian in the world, just don't ever concern yourself with obedience to God, especially in that particular, particular area of your life that I asked you to think about. Yeah, if you want to be a miserable Christian, say, obedience doesn't apply here. And I think that's probably true of, of so many of us. Where, you know, you're like, I know God loves me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved by grace. I know I'm part of God's family. And yet there's still something just miserable about my life as a Christian. And I'm sure there could be so many different reasons and possibilities. But dare I say it? A great many of you, it might be simply because you haven't concerned yourself with obedience to God. Even as we confess, what, what great timing. Uh, I don't know if you caught this. We did go over it kind of fast. But in the Heidelberg Catechism that we just confessed earlier today, even assurance of salvation is tied to obedience and, and good works, as it said in there. Not salvation itself, but assurance of salvation. In other words, it's, if your faith feels very shaky... Right? If you feel like, yeah, I, I just I don't know if I'm saved, and you know, you, there's all these questions and, and doubts, which are natural to a large degree, but you can't get over it. Perhaps it's because of a lack of obedience. Once again, obedience doesn't save you, but as we did confess, there is an assurance of your salvation that comes with obedience. 
perhaps even your shaky faith, at least part of the reason, is a lack of obedience. I know there's a, I've heard there's a very famous uh, anecdote. I don't even know where I got this from, but like every pastor has shared this at one point. You know, a very famous anecdote about a pastor and a, a young Christian who grows up in the youth group. He's, he's a believer. He loves Jesus, all these things. Then goes off to college, you know, out of town. And then one day he comes back. And, you know, he's, he comes back and the pastor's like, how's, how's college? You know, how you doing? How's everything? And the, the, the young man goes, you know, I don't know if I believe anymore. I'm not sure I could believe. And you know, he tries to give all these little arguments of why he doesn't believe in God and this and that. You know, all the kind of normal stuff that a college student might learn for the first time. Uh, you know, these like lame arguments. And the, and, uh, but the, the kicker is the pastor's response. It's a classic story. I love it. I love it because it's kind of shocking too. He goes, so who are you having sex with? Right? He says, who are you having premarital sex with? Right. Oh, your faith, you're not sure about your faith anymore? You're not sure about God anymore? He said, you're having premarital sex, right? And his point, of course, is because you don't want to obey in this area, all of a sudden, faith feels very hard, right? Because you don't want to, this is just one area of your life. I'm sure a lot of people can relate. I can relate. This is one area. I don't want to give this up. So now, oh, I don't even know if God exists. They are connected. Even our assurance of salvation, our faith in God, and, and a strong and a continuously growing strong faith is tied to obedience. Once again, faith and obedience are not the same thing. Once again, salvation is not gained through obedience. And yet, we cannot act like they're totally unrelated. Don't just be hearers, my friends, be doers of the word. And when you do it, not for, your, not for your salvation, but out of your salvation, there's even joy and benefit and blessing to be had, even if that's not your primary motivation to get it. And I imagine maybe there's some people who are like, but you know what? I try obeying God. There's areas in my life where I want to obey, or I, I tried obeying God, and it didn't feel joyful at all. I can, I can concede that. I tried obeying God and uh, it felt oppressive. I tried obeying God. I saw what the Bible said. I saw what, uh, you know, what the Christians said. I didn't like it. It felt limiting. I couldn't make certain choices that I wanted to make. I couldn't pursue certain opportunities that I wanted to pursue that I, that I think will make me happy. I can see that you might feel that way. But I, I will submit to you this. That is not a gospel obedience. That's a religious obedience. That's a, religi- that's a religious obedience where you feel like, I have to do this because I have to do this. I have to do this because the pastor said so. I have to do this because the Christians said so. I have to do this because uh, people will look down on me if I don't do this. I have to do this because uh, you know, I'm not going to feel like a good person if I don't do this. But that is a religious obedience, my friends. But I submit to you, a gospel obedience does lead to joy. Even if it's not immediate and ecstatic, that it does lead to a true and deep and lasting joy. And this actually leads us to our last point. Here's the third thing about gospel obedience. Gospel obedience comes from a changed heart. It comes from a changed heart. Verse 12, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. We cannot forget that part. It is God who works in you. Uh, I had the privilege of speaking for uh, the, our partner church, CPC, their Halloween alternative called Heavenly Night earlier this week. And oh, what a doozy. It, you, I said, who am I preaching for? Who, what's the age group? And they said, oh, all ages, all ages, from the littlest little ones to the big kids and their parents. So, okay, okay. And, you know, it was, it was a pleasure and a joy, of course. But, uh, you know, I did have to incorporate some hand motions. I'm not going to make you do the hand motions, but I made them do it like five times. God or Jesus makes me holy from the inside out. Right? That was like the whole message, just doing that over and over again. I won't make you do it, okay? But how, how funny where I, I realized, so it applies to today's message as well. It so applies. It's not, maybe it's not a coincidence. Gospel obedience is not something you can just force. Right? That, that's the oppressive feels so limiting, it does not give you any joy. Gospel obedience can't just be a change of external behavior. It must be from the inside out, from a changed heart. God has to work in you. Even the fear of the Lord, a, a, a gospel, rightful fear of the Lord, and a, and a joyful working out of your salvation, that's actually not possible without a change of heart. And so... God has to work in you. Your heart has to be changed. And I just have three signs for you, real quick, that your obedience are coming from a changed heart. Three quick signs. Quick litmus tests, if you will. Here's the first one. Your obedience isn't dependent, dependent on whether other people are watching. Verse 12 of our, of our text, Paul says, Obey not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul, as their loving pastor, as their loving leader, he says, guys, you guys need to obey not just when I'm around, okay? You need to obey not just when, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in Philippi, in that city, but you need to obey even when I'm gone, right? It's, it's like every pastor's experience where you see a bunch of people talking, and then you walk over to them, and they're like, oh, we, we're going to change the subject now. We're not going to talk about this anymore. We can't talk about this in front of you. It's like... All right, all right, you know, just because I'm a pastor, you can't talk about these things, you know, uh, in front of me. I will say this, CCSC, you guys are pretty good about being very free in front of all your pastors, and uh, that is to be appreciated, much better than hiding those conversations and those weird things about you, right? Um, but you, get, you know what I'm talking about, right? Paul is saying, don't just obey because I'm around. Don't just obey because of who's watching. Don't just obey because certain people are here in the vicinity. He's saying, if your heart is changed, you will obey regardless. You will not care about an audience. Or rather, you will only care about one audience. The face of God, not the face of man. Right? A changed heart will obey not dependent on who's watching or who's around. Whether those Christian people, those people who might judge me are around. It's not relying on that. Here's the second one. Here's the flip side. Your obedience isn't hampered because other people are watching. That's the second sign that your obedience is coming from a changed heart. Verse 15 of our text says, In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, you shine as lights in the world. And if God is holy and the world is not holy, and I'm not holy naturally, Obeying God isn't always going to get you the applause of the world, right? 
But if my heart is changed, that's not going to stop me. If my heart is changed, even if the world and the people around me say, you know, oh, you're so weird, or, or you're, this is obedience to God, like, that's so old-fashioned, or even narrow-minded. If my heart is changed, that's not going to stop me. And on the flip side, actually, when we talk about shining as lights in the world, we can't forget that, and we actually confess this in the Heidelberg Catechism as well, your obedience to God will also be a witness to the world. Yes, there are some things uh, where uh, if you obey God, it will clearly you know, not work with the views of the world. There are, there are several things like that. But I would say generally speaking, because obedience to God comes from love and because it causes you to love and it causes you to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, there's no way that more obedience to God isn't going to somehow also be attractive and cause people to be drawn to the gospel. That's what shining as lights in this world also means. So that's the second thing. So, you know, it's actually the same thing, just in different ways. It just doesn't matter who's watching. And that's actually the third point, too. It's really not a point. It's just a conclusion. Your obedience, if your heart is changed, your obedience ultimately isn't going to be about you. It's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about what other people think about you. It's not going to be about making yourself look good or feel good. It's going to be for God, his sake, for his glory, because he is God and he's worthy. And also even for others. For people who don't know the gospel. I'm going to obey God because I want people to know the gospel and to be drawn to the gospel. And even not just for non-Christians, it's going to be for other Christians too. I want to obey God because I want to build up my brothers and sisters. Just like Pastor Dan kind of, uh, you know, he, he exhorted us about singing. It builds everyone up. It builds each other up. And obedience to God has that natural effect. It builds up your brothers and sisters. It's not about you. And when we talk about the heart, that it needs to come from a changed heart, that's where it gets hard, right? Like it would be much easier if I just said, here are the top five ways you need to obey God. Just do A, B, C, D, and E. Just do it. doesn't matter if the heart, just do it. And if you just do it, then you're obeying God. That would be much easier, I think. But that's not what the Lord wants. He looks at the heart. He cares about a changed heart. It's hard when it requires actually a changed heart from the inside. God makes me holy from the inside out. That's that's hard because the inside, I can't quite control. I can't make that happen just by trying really hard, mustering it up. You know, there was a movie that I, I watched at least a good amount of recently because it was put on my radar through a book I was reading. And in that movie, you see a really clear example of a changed heart. The movie is called uh, Three Seasons. It's a movie from the 90s and highly acclaimed movie. It takes place in Vietnam. And uh, one of the storylines in that movie is a love story between a man named Hai and a woman named Lan. And Hai is a Ciclo driver. Ciclo is like a bicycle taxi, a rickshaw. Actually, you, can, you see a picture of it. He's driving that. And Lan, the woman, she's actually a prostitute. And they're both extremely poor. And they fall in love. Or rather, sorry, I, I, that's not what happens. Hai falls in love with Lan. Uh, the man falls in love with the woman, despite her prostitution. And for Lan, she just wants to make enough money through her prostitution to get out of that poverty. Uh, her dream, 
Her dream is very simple. She says her dream is just to be able to sleep in an air-conditioned room with no one bothering her, especially, especially not a man. That's her dream. And in the course of the story, Hai ends up winning a Ciclo race. That's actually what you see here. He's, he won that race just now. And he wins that race, and he wins the grand prize. It's a monetary prize. And, you know, it's a lot of money for him. And now he, he's, like, comparatively rich. And he approaches Lan afterwards. And he says, I will pay for a night with you with this money I want. I'll pay for a night with you. And he takes her to this nice hotel, something that she is used to. And then he says, I just want you to go to sleep. Just go to sleep. I'm not going to bother you. Just go to sleep in this air-conditioned room. Of course, Lan is thrown off by this. And afterwards, like days after, she doesn't want to have anything to do with Hai because she's not used to being treated like this. <laughs> but over time, she eventually gives up her prostitution. And she says to Hai, she says, you made me feel something I'm incapable of feeling. Basically, she's saying, as a prostitute, I can't feel love. But she says, but you made me feel it. You made me feel it. And now I can't go on like this. I can't go on in the same life. Her heart was changed. When she saw Lan, you, oh, sorry, when she saw Hai use his riches, not to use her, but to serve her, she couldn't help but be changed. It was something she just had never seen before. And is that not a glimpse of the love we have in Jesus Christ? You know, our passage today in Philippians chapter 2 about obedience, about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's actually the first word of that passage is therefore. And it's a huge therefore. Because right before our passage, there's a very famous, well-known, well-loved passage called the Christ hymn. A beautiful depiction of what Jesus did for us right before our passage. And it's, it's such an important context. And I have some of it written for you up here. Philippians chapter 2, right before, verses 6 and 8. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. Who he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What, a, what an important, wonderful, beautiful context for the gospel's call to obey. Here we have the only one who deserves all obedience given to him. He's the only one who deserves all creatures in the whole universe to obey him. He is Lord. He is God. And yet he would be the one who becomes obedient, even obedient to the point of death. And he didn't have to do it. What can you and I offer him? We have nothing to give him. He didn't want anything from us. He, didn't need, he doesn't need us. He's God. And yet out of love, out of a sacrificial love, out of, out of his good pleasure, simply because he wanted to, he wanted to love us like this. Though we were disobedient, Though we are a people who love to grumble and question, he would pursue us. 
He would pursue us with obedience, with his own obedience. He would obey in our place so that our imperfect, lame obedience can still be renewed and deemed acceptable by God. And he would obey to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that all of our disobedience will be put on him instead and no longer counted against you and me. He would do that. Would that be what changes your heart? That's the only thing that could change your heart. You know, this gospel call to obedience, when the gospel still says, yes, still obey. It is a tender call. It is a very tender call. I hope you feel that tenderness, even in Paul's words, when he opens this passage by calling the church, my beloved. He says, obey my beloved. My beloved, please obey. It's not some ominous, overly heavy-handed call. It is a tender one. And would you feel the tenderness of Christ's love, especially as you look at that cross, especially as you look at Christ, the one who never needed to be obedient, being obedient in our place. And would that be what allows you to have joy, even in obedience? Would that be allows you to have a proper fear of the Lord? Not because you're afraid of what he might do, but simply because you know who he is. And would that be what allows you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure and ultimately for yours. Only the gospel can do that. Would the Lord continue to work the gospel in our hearts, not just so that we could be hearers, but also doers. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how can we thank you and praise you and rejoice and celebrate enough the fact that Jesus would do this. The fact that Jesus would look at us in the midst of all our rebellion, all of our self-interest, all of the ways we choose our own ways, which ultimately makes us miserable, and he would chase after us. He would be the one that's obedient, and he would die. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We ask that by your Spirit's power, you continue to impress the gospel in our hearts in a way that is deep, in a way that is joyful, in a way that produces fruit so that we don't just sit and hear, but we hear and then do. Apply, live out, work out our salvation. Not because we have to, not because we care who's watching, not because we feel bad, but simply because we are loved. We are grateful. Help us, we pray. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.